The million dollar question, how do entrepreneurs transition from self-employed to owning a business that turns a profit? My name is Chris Waters, and this podcast has the million dollar answer. Welcome to CEO Secrets. It's your host, Chris Waters of CEO Secrets. I am here with Chat Razdin. Chat is the founder and CEO of Careware, a healthware company changing the way the world looks and feels about healthcare. Chat, his company was recognized, ranked as number 20 on the Inc. 500 list. They have achieved over 14,000% growth. Let me say that one more time 14,000% growth over the past 36 months. I'm excited to. Um, learn some nuggets from you, chat about how you unlock that kind of growth curve. It's my understanding you came out of the investment banking world at uh, Goldman Sachs prior to launching Careware. Tell me a little bit about how the company came about and uh, when you had the epiphany to start this. Yeah, totally. And thanks, Chris, for having me here today uh, to chat with you. No, uh, no pun intended, I guess. Um, so I guess it all started a little over seven and a half years ago. I had loved ones diagnosed with cancer, told to wear socks over what's called a pick line in their arm. And so I saw people wearing socks in their arms and thought, wow, this stinks. There's got to be something better. And so started working with nurses and doctors from Johns Hopkins and UVA to try and redesign the tube sock. And kind of while we were doing that, took a step back and realized whenever you go to the hospital, everything's always been focused on function and not on how it looks or how it makes you feel. And so really just wanted to build a brand in the healthcare space. Like you mentioned, my background is probably not as relevant. I am a former investment banker at Goldman and strategy consultant at Kearney. Um, And so I wanted to make sure to get the right people in the room with me to design and develop all of our products. Today, that's become our three-pronged approach to product development. So first and foremost, always having clinicians involved in the development of each and every one of our products that ensures that our products are medically superior to everything else and strategically that enables us to get unique IP on each and every one of our products. Secondly is getting the end user to make sure that they actually wanna wear the product. I still remember as a child going to the hospital several times uh, for surgeries and having to wear a patient gown where I was exposing myself to everyone in the hospital. And uh, obviously being terrified of surgery, but being even more terrified of the fact that I was going to be exposing myself to everyone there. And so today we want to make sure that that seven-year-old version of me is involved in the design and development so that you're not terrified and you feel comfortable and supported when you're in the hospital. And then finally is working with manufacturing and design to incorporate the latest trends and technologies and designs. Uh, Today, we're proud to work with partners like Oscar De La Renta and the Vittori company. Um, We are, I believe, still the only company that March of Dimes has partnered with to create a product uh, and even taught a class at Parsons School of Design to redesign the patient gowns uh, as part of a product design process as well. But all in all, I guess I started Karenware um, really just to help my loved ones. And I've been super thrilled to be able to help even more people and continue to grow our community as large as possible. But um, it's definitely we're still at the beginning and there's a long way for us to go. So 
I've always said there's, there's like three P's to finding success in a business. You've got the product itself, you've got the promotion of the product and, and then nailing the pricing side of things. So I was, um, you know, perusing through your website and it's, you know, it's interesting, like uh, as an outsider, I'm like, you guys sell scrubs, yep. you're like doctors and nurses and just kind of curious, like, I mean, you know, and excuse my ignorance, but mm-hmm. from an, they look very similar to other scrubs. What do you do to, you know, for example, you know, differentiate them to make it a superior product? Yeah, totally. I think kind of like you said, the three P's are super important and we really skew pretty heavy on the product side. So we always want to create something that's medically superior. And that's why we're always working with clinicians and end users to design and develop all of our products. So for those scrubs, for example, we worked with a hundred over nearly a hundred clinicians kind of of all use cases to create our scrubs. And so really thinking of the intricate details, like for example, a badge holder on, on your shoulders. So having a loop that you can put your ID badge on so you no longer have to clip it to your neck, having pockets that actually will fit an iPad and pens, et cetera. So really thinking through all the use cases and then having the detail to think about it from a fashion perspective as well. So having it be a comfortable fit, but making sure that when you lean over, for example, which as a nurse or doctor, you're doing quite often, that you're not accidentally exposing your backside when you lean over. And so providing that kind of an elongated tail as compared to the front um, to ensure that we're getting that proper coverage. And so on a website, you know, a lot of products might look similar, but I think it's really putting in the the attention to detail and really making sure that we're trying to solve for all of your needs. Um, even having things like really strong stitching on the neck, so that if you are putting things on your um, on your neck, that it actually will stay and it won't accidentally open up, etc. It's kind of working with those nurses and doctors and patients and end users to make sure that we're solving for their needs. So is this kind of like the Lululemon of healthware? Yeah, I grew up, I grew up in Baltimore, so I was used to say the Under Armour uh, of healthware. But yeah, no, I mean, I still actually run in Lulu today, and it's we're trying to bring comfort and dignity and um, support to you, and to allow you honestly to just feel like a human. I think what Lulu and Under Armour and Nike have done is allow you to feel like an athlete. And we want you to feel like a human, even if you're going to the hospital for any reason. You know, what I thought was cool is these products you have to like cover up. It's like a sleeve that covers Mm -hmm. up where you put the IV. What was there anything like that before that existed? No, not really. I mean, historically, people were told to wear a sock on their arm. I think people had created like I used to joke that our biggest competitors were Etsy grandmothers. And obviously they're really high tech grandmothers, um, but they would basically recreate a sock for you to put on your arm. No one had really thought of it as we did of using a sleeve that looks cool. It looks like a running sleeve, if you will. And so a big thing about being a patient is many times you don't want people to know you're a patient. And so really allowing you to feel more like yourself and letting you wear something 
something cool that you can be proud of. And today we're excited to have a number of different colors, designs. Uh, we partner with Major League Baseball so you can wear your favorite team on your sleeve. Really being really thought provoking and allowing you to really show off your excitement rather than having to be ashamed of what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about which product gets, which one are you selling the most of? Is it the sleeve, the clothes? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Historically, our sleeves were definitely our bestseller, our pick line covers, just because they had been around for the longest. Um, from a scale perspective, things like our patient gowns just grow enormously because when you think about it, everyone that goes in the hospital is getting a patient gown. Um, hospitals go through number of them per day, per patient. And so it's something that scales up pretty largely. Uh, and then kind of like you mentioned, we most recently launched scrubs and those have been going off the shelves pretty quickly um, because of the fact that we have a brand that is known and trusted by a lot of these nurses and doctors. And so being able to create a product for them has been really, really exciting. And for people that have given so much to us all time, but especially in the last two years with the pandemic, to be able to create something for them has been really rewarding. That's awesome. So you're in essentially B2B sales. Talk to me about the promotion side. How did you get this to, you know, how did you get this out to hospitals and all the various users of your, of your products? What are you doing on the marketing side to increase sales 14,000 plus percent? Yeah. Um, so we go both B2B and direct to consumer. So we're basically trying to get every avenue as possible to you to let you know about our product and be able to, to work with you. Um, so on the B2B side, it's really just getting to know all these hospitals. Over the last year, we've been really proud to add over 50 hospital systems and governments. Uh, for anyone that knows uh, the hospital sale lifecycle, normally you're celebrating if you get one or two on board. And so to get 50 is pretty unbelievable. And a lot of it's just perseverance. It's calling hospitals, talking to the nurses and doctors, getting them excited about the product. Now, over time, we've gotten on contract with what's called GPOs, which are general purchasing organizations, which kind of reduces a lot of that friction and time that it takes to get on contract with hospitals. Uh, and a lot of it now is word of mouth where a hospital will really like our products and calls another hospital and says, hey, this is a great product. We think you should use this as well. And it's, we've been really fortunate to have incredible customers who not only love our products, but then start serving as uh, evangelical ambassadors for us, really promoting our products. And then all the typical things like, you know, online advertising, conferences, obviously over the last year and a half conferences have kind of dwindled, but they're definitely coming back. And we're really fortunate to have the opportunity to present at a lot of these conferences, papers, posters, conversations, panels, etc. And it's a great way to kind of build up name brand recognition. And then finally is starting to get some pretty incredible data, really demonstrating unbelievable outcomes by using our products. So 
for example, one hospital system, a top five uh, U.S. hospital system, used our PICC line covers and has been using them for over three years and has seen a 78% reduction in migrations for our PICC line covers, which they estimate saves them several million dollars a year. And so it's being able to demonstrate that kind of information and materials for what's uh, a rounding error on a cost perspective. And I think the last thing to comment on, you had mentioned costs, and that's something that's really, or price as one of your three Ps, and that's something that's really important to me. Um, I created this company to help my loved ones. I want us to always be a premium product at an everyday price. That's kind of how I think about it. And so when we go into a hospital, we're always ensuring that our products that we're creating are priced at the same or below what hospitals or patients or clinicians are already buying. And that's something that we think is super important, not just to be successful, but just to create innovation to help those in need. If you, like when you, when you think about your marketing arsenal, I know mm-hmm. you, you're a part of a lot of boards and various mm-hmm. things where you speak at events. And then you mentioned uh, business development reps, like calling people within the hospital. Mm-hmm. If you had to you know, if you think about that marketing arsenal to promote the product, if you had to eliminate eliminate everything but one, what would be the Ooh. one tactic that, you know, knock, knocks it out of the park for you? Yeah. Um, thankfully, we don't have to eliminate them all because I would say they're all really important. I'd say probably the way it started was just never giving up and similar to how our patients and clinicians never give up whether they're trying to save a life or they're fighting cancer or even a broken bone or tennis elbow or what have you, you can't do the same. And I think that at the start, it was cold calling because I didn't come from the healthcare industry. I didn't know a lot of people in hospitals. And so I kind of had to have no shame. And I know you mentioned uh, with real estate that you obviously are very well known leader in the real estate industry and a lot of your listeners come from um, real estate and you think about it as a broker, right? Like you don't, you can't get that client unless you call. And so you can't be afraid to call people and to share what you're building. And worst case scenario is someone hangs up on me or doesn't return my phone call. What I have found is by building such a, a very fortunately a great brand, people want to talk to us. They want to utilize our products. And I think it's just a matter of time. And especially when you're selling into healthcare and everyone's seen this over the last two years, nurses and doctors have negative time. And so if they don't call you back, you can't take it personally. And you just got to kind of keep getting out in front of them and keep chatting with them and keep arming them. I like to think of the cold calling as uh, finding additional members of our team and our community. And uh, even if it doesn't turn into a sale today, it most likely will uh, in the future. So to get off the launching pad, mm-hmm. cold call. Yeah. And then what about once you've got some money? What is it if you're going to spend your way to yeah. acquiring a customer versus trading your time? What, what would you spend your way or what would you spend your money on to acquire more customers? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's an interesting question. It's one that we think about each and every day, right? I think that there's a lot of things that make sense. So strategic conferences, for example, where you can, we've sponsored a few conferences now, uh, we'll sponsor events. 
will kind of, when we're going in, we might not necessarily focus on just saying, hey, we want you to promote our product, but we want to promote talking about our industry or innovation in our industry. We've started doing hosting panels where we will right now virtual because of obviously everything we're going through as a country, but being able to have people come and share their opinions and their thoughts. And it's it's not necessarily saying, hey, buy Karenware products each and every time. And don't get me wrong, I would love it if our industry panels said that. Um, but it's just more talking to them about innovation and talking to them about where the industry is headed. And for us, that then enables us to uh, get as much excitement out there about the industry as a whole and then gets us coverage as well and so it's being thoughtful about realizing that you you don't necessarily need to spend everything on just saying buy your product because that might not be the right message but just making sure that your name brand is getting out there and people are aware of you i want to ask you some questions about your Mm -hmm. time at goldman sachs sure So you're in the investment banking world. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're valuing companies, you know, trying to figure out what they're worth. And I can't imagine how much you learned from going through that experience. So now that you're an entrepreneur and perhaps you're not really thinking about it now, but like when you think of like the value creation checklist to drive, you know, the, the value of your business from mm-hmm. your experience at Goldman Sachs, what does that value checklist look like uh, for your business? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, what investors want to see is impact, right? Like what's the impact you can have for some people that's going to be profitability for some people that's going to be how many people did you touch for some people it's going to be how much of your product is out there in the world. I think for us, it's interesting. We as a company, we donate uh, at least 10% of our profit to nonprofits. And so when you're valuating us, you're not necessarily valuing us just on how much cash flow are you generating as a business but you're thinking a much broader scale of how many lives are you touching or how many units were you able to get to people in need and things like that. Last year, we were able to deliver over 15 million units to people, which awesome number. It's something I'm super proud of. Seven years ago, I had zero. So going from zero to 15 million is amazing, but there's over 7 billion people in the world. And so when you think about it, we still haven't even scratched the surface of what we can do and how many people that we can help. And I think um, for us and how we look at Karenware and how we evaluate it is how do we get to a point where we're helping all 7 billion plus people in the world? And what can we do to make that more of a reality? And so we're quickly coming out with new products. We're working with new people. We're adding new hospital systems and governments. We're going to launch our first few retailers next year. Um, I think there's there's a lot of excitement and a lot of momentum, but you got to keep your foot on the gas pedal and keep going. And that's something, uh, as I said, we've only scratched the surface and there's so much more left for us to do. Is it true you work 90 plus hour work weeks at Goldman? I think it depends on uh, what group you're in and what kind of work you're doing. I was, I definitely had plenty of weeks where I was working well over 90 hours a week for sure. Yeah. You still have that same level of intensity? Um, Yeah, I think uh, everyone complains that I'm always on. I 
and replying pretty quickly. I think that's probably a personality thing, not necessarily a work thing. But look, when you start a company and it's your business that you, you're getting to build, you're always thinking about it, right? Like similar to how you're probably always thinking about real estate and what changes you can bring about. I'm thinking, how can we help more patients? How can we help more clinicians? What can we do to grow more quickly? What can we do to create even better products? And I think that that's when you know you found something that you're passionate about, right? When I no longer have to pull those hours, but I want to. And I think that that's something, at least for me, is something that I'm super excited about and proud to get to do. Did you self-fund this company or did you raise? raise No, so we've raised some money, um, a small amount of money. Um, We definitely are always kind of evaluating whether it makes sense to raise more. Our investors kind of, the way we look at investment is we want people that are going to add value beyond just giving cash. And so for us is other entrepreneurs, other people that have big followings, people that understand the healthcare and fashion industries are kind of what we really look for in our investor base. And we've been really fortunate to have a number of amazing investors and, you know, who knows who will add or how we'll add them in the future, but always excited to add amazing people uh, to our community and be able to work with them to do even more. Are you in a position now where the cash flow can fund the growth? I guess it's a great question in terms of cash flow funding growth. I guess it depends on who you ask. We could technically, but if you wanted to expedite growth even more to your earlier questions of how much do you want to spend, et cetera, there's, I guess investors will always tell you that you can take more money and that there's an opportunity to do more with it. And I guess it's, it's up to the team and board and all that to decide, do we need this money? And if so, what are we going to do with it, et cetera? Who are the investors that had a big following and influence in terms of being able to help sell more of your product? Yeah, we have um, a bunch of amazing athletes. We have a bunch of NFL players involved. We uh, have healthcare executives, fashion executives. It's been a lot of people that have been able to provide their knowledge and their enthusiasm and support for what we're doing. And we're excited to, to keep adding great people. So is, have you been doing, have you been leveraging influencer marketing since the, since the beginning or when did you layer that into your marketing arsenal? Yeah. Um, when it comes to influencers, we, we've been really fortunate where historically we as a company would have people wanting to promote us without asking for anything in return because it is a product that resonates with them, right? So Katie Couric, for example, gave us her our first break uh, when I came up with the idea. She actually put us on her show on ABC before I even had a product. And we've been really fortunate to get a lot of great products uh, promotion from her to kind of people wearing our products today that are always promoting it. We've now officially launched an ambassador program over the last year where we do work with ambassadors and allow them to uh, promote our products in collaboration with us. So it is, I'd say influencer marketing, something that you've probably seen grow in importance to brands over the last two to three years, but it's something that uh, I've been doing whether I was calling it influencer marketing or not, it's something I've been doing since I started the company. Knowing what you know now, what would you change 
to have maybe excel. I mean, you achieved 14,000 plus percent in three years, but I'm sure you've had a lot of ahas along the way. Do you think you could have changed anything in the early years to grow even faster? And if so, what would that, what would those tactical things have been? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd say there's a lot that you can change. There's a lot that you could do differently. I think the way that I look about it at it though is a little differently is what did I learn from doing it a previous way and how can we kind of apply that to the business going forward? And so instead of thinking about what would I change historically, I think it's taking the lessons to figure out how, how to do it better in the future. And I think a great example for all entrepreneurs is when you start, you're doing everything on your own. And as you start to grow and as you start to build a team, you're able to delegate more and really focus on what everyone's really good at. And I think if I had done it differently, I probably would have figured out a way to bring on more people at the beginning and be able to kind of leverage talent more quickly. And uh, we're still a lean team. Seven years in, we're still under 20 employees, uh, which is pretty incredible. But every single person here is super important and adds a tremendous, excuse me, amount of value to the business. And I think it's spending time to the biggest thing is really spending time to appreciate what you've been able to do. I think as a founder, you're always focused on how do we go better to your point on the Inc. 5000 list. As soon as they give you your number, they then say, okay, so what are you doing to beat that number next year? And I was like, well, we got 20. That's going to be hard to beat. Uh, but we're focused on doing as much as possible to help as many people. And these are some of the tools that we can apply. And these are some of the the things that we can start to add on. And I think it's not being afraid to try new things and not being afraid to fail, I think is so important, right? Like my philosophy with our team is I'm willing to try everything at least once, even if I don't think it's going to work well. And a great example when it comes to influencers is, I don't know if you've used the, the app Cameo or the website Cameo where you can reach out to celebrities and ask and get them to do things. A lot of people do it as a way to get like famous celebrities to say happy birthday to a friend. A member of our team had said, hey, I want to reach out, use Cameo to try and get them to buy our products from their foundation and give them away for free. And I was like, in my head, I was like, well, you know, you're on Cameo because you want income, not because you're looking for ways to spend your income. But sure, like, it's a great idea. Never thought of it. Let's test it out. And so we tested it out with a few celebrities. And not surprisingly, um, they asked us for a lot of money rather than uh, wanting to spend money with us. But you never know unless you try it. And we were able to kind of learn lessons from, okay, what are the metrics that they're promising us? What does... What do those metrics look like in comparison to other influencers and agencies, et cetera? And so I think you can't be afraid to try things. Though. So would you put, sounds like you'd put with, uh, Cameo in the, the loss column. Yeah, Cameo is probably a loss for us. It could be a win for others, though. But uh, yeah, so like influencer marketing, generally speaking, is goes in the plus column, but in terms of cameo, just because of, of the the money requirements, it's probably not a great win. The acquisition cost, I would assume, is pretty high. Yeah, no, exactly. <clears throat> what is you mentioned your your team is only twenty people. What does your org chart look like? Just you know, briefly. Yeah, we um, have a team kind of split up into 
four big teams, I guess. So sales, marketing, product, and operations. And then those teams kind of open up and have more and more people involved. Um, I think it's it's important, though, that we have a very open culture, uh, open door policy where everyone talks to everyone. Most people that, well, not most, every person that's come to Karenware has a personal story and a personal reason for being here. We are, it's a cool company in that everyone is here, not just because of uh, them having a certain desire to do a certain job, but because they have a personal connection to the company and what we're building and what we're doing. And I think I'm very fortunate to have gotten the opportunity to build a company where everyone has their own personal story and everyone's really motivated to do something to change the world. And as cheesy as that is, like we all want to make a difference in the world. And I get the unique pleasure of getting to do that with everyone. You know, I think I saw that special with Katie Kirk on ABC News. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, a few years ago, 2014. Was that just like, I mean, did you just see sales like skyrocket, you know, preceding that when that show got released? Yeah, so we actually, uh, I didn't have a product out on the market yet. So I saw website visits skyrocket uh, when I was on the show. And uh, we've been able to do a lot of cool things with Katie and her team. We actually, in the middle of the pandemic, were able to build face masks together. And so, we gave out a lot of Katie Couric branded face masks to people in need. And uh, we're just proud to be able to work with someone who's so incredible. That's cool. That's really cool. So what, so you mentioned 15 million units sold. What kind of revenue is that? Yeah, we're a privately held company, so we don't really disclose revenue. But um, we, as you've mentioned, we had some profound growth over the past few years. And we're excited to, to be able to do even more to help those in need. What's your average product cost? It varies based on the product. So the cheapest product we have is probably our face masks. Um, and then it goes all the way up to our Oscar de la Renta collaboration for hoodies and a lot in between. So really going anywhere from 15 to $95 or so right now. Are you getting these like huge purchase orders from hospitals where it's like, you know, 100,000 units, 200,000 units? Yeah, I mean, hospitals come to us to help their patients and kind of, as you can guess, like, you know, when you think about things like patient gowns, hospitals are using millions a year. And so um, we work with them to create to create the best in class products that are hopefully able to serve their needs. Yeah, cool. So earlier you mentioned, you know, one of the things that's helped you is, you know, being open-minded to try new things like the Cameo mm-hmm. thing. I'm just kind of curious, like, what what would you say is, like, the biggest obstacle you hit? And it was just a, I don't know, a, a point where when you think about the trajectory of your business, you hit you hit a point and you failed. Think, it didn't go as planned and you were just panicking and freaking out. That happened. It seems like that happens to everybody. Yeah. Like, what, what was that? What was, like, the biggest lesson learned from like one of your biggest failures like tell me specifically like what was going on who it was what it was you know that um maybe somebody can extract from you as like a big aha not to so they don't have to go through the same thing yeah totally um there's about five billion lessons that i could share that happen (laughs) on a daily basis i'd say one of the earliest and honestly kind of important lesson 
I um, had worked with a hospital system to uh, one of the VA hospitals to get our pick line covers in place for them. And they were, they were gung-ho excited. Um, so excited in fact that they demanded and I said, yes, uh, to get the pick line covers straight from the factory without us getting them first. And so had these pick line covers going to the VA, being put on um, veterans who have served and dedicated their lives to protecting us. And unfortunately um, had, I don't know if you've ever had a sweater where the fabric starts peeling off. Um, so if you think of like the wool sweater and the wool starting to come off on whatever else you have, we yeah. had that happen where the black started peeling off the pick line cover and going on the bandage. And so normally you'll wear like a clear bandage over the pick line insertion site, and then you'll put our sleeve on top of that bandage. And so suddenly these bandages were turning black and obviously started freaking out. As soon as we heard the nurses were freaking out. Um, I was like, oh my God, life's over. Um, we're not like, we're not going to be able to stay in business, et cetera. How big was that order? Yeah. I mean, it was tiny to start with. I think they had bought like probably 500 pick line covers. Like they were just testing them out. Um, and obviously it was a test not going well. And um, what was great about it though, is we were very open with each other. So I talked to um, Linda, the nurse manager and was like, honestly, I have no idea why this has happened. It, I've worn them myself. So I've tested them out. Patients at Hopkins have worn them to test them out for us. This never happened. We don't understand what's going on. And because we engaged her early on, it was it didn't become a finger pointing exercise, but rather became a, how can we work together to solve this? And we ended up learning that the reason it was happening was because we would wash the covers when we'd receive them and then mail them out to the um mail them out to the hospitals. And because this hospital had demanded that they come straight from the factory so they didn't have to waste time, they were getting them unwashed. And so while it had been washed before it was made, it wasn't being washed right before it was put in the package. And so the lesson was you have to wash it twice. You have the factory wash it twice rather than once and all the pilling stopped. And it was an important lesson because look, your customer is always gonna want solutions quicker. And you got to make sure that you solve, um, that you make sure that everything's okay before you go to them. But you also want to be upfront with your customer. In our case, we were, I think because I told her, look, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to work with you. And I had daily calls with her and her factory on the phone, going through everything together and making her a part of solving the process rather than just your typical customer vendor relationship. She really felt like she was a part of our team. And so when we solved the problem, she was jumping up and down with us as well. And um, today, really glad to say the BA is still a very important customer for ours and um, dumb luck for us. Uh, this nurse happens to be, nurse manager happens to be like the VA expert for vascular access expert for the whole Department of Veterans Affairs. And so she's helped us expand into other VA hospitals. And it's, it came down to just being open, being communicative and being willing to find solutions together. That's great, ma'am. Guys, uh, if you're tuning in, I hope you had your notebook on you because chat here just, uh, he's dropped a lot of little nuggets. I wouldn't even call them little. They're pretty big. That's awesome, man. Hey, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. When I was reading your bio, 
I was like, man, who the, you know, like, I was, I was like, I swear, I've, number one, I was thinking, man, I swear I saw this on TV on ABC News. And now I connect the dots. And, um, I, you know, you're like a co-chair and you're on all these, you know, you're part of all these councils and um, the Ronald McDonald House and all these patient research, you know, councils. And I was like, man, who is this guy? And, um, and, and, you know, I can like hear your, your passion in your voice to deliver an amazing product for people. And um, it's really cool to hear your story as to why you created the company. Not a surprise to me, you were named one of the most 100 intriguing entrepreneurs by Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, really cool story. I, I thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Guys, if this is your first time tuning in, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Go check out Care Plus Wares. Uh, chat, what's the, you want to give everybody the website? Yeah, our website is just careandwear.com. So I care about what you wear, basically. Awesome, man. Careandwear.com. He's got some really cool stuff on there. I'm fascinated by those sleeves. They're really cool. Yeah. Um, and then you've got stuff there for, for kids, too, I think I saw. Yeah, yeah we yeah. we go uh, from when you're born up until you're 100 plus years old and everyone in between. That's awesome. All right, man. Thanks so much for being on the show. Again, guys, hit that subscribe button. If it's your first time on, check out Chat's company. Look him up on LinkedIn. Message him on LinkedIn. I'll put it in the show notes, uh, his LinkedIn information, if you want to reach out to him. Is there any other way for them to reach out to you, Chat? Yeah. If uh, anyone emails wecare at karenware.com or through our website, we'll make sure to get back to them. Cool. All right, man. This has been an awesome episode. I've learned a lot and uh, I, I know everybody listening has as well. Thank you so much for being on. Totally. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye, everybody. Want more CEO secrets? If so, you can get a free copy of my book, The Million Dollar Real Estate Team at www.themilliondollarrealestateteam.com for free. Inside this book, you'll find my top secrets that we've used to net $1 million in just three years.